Well, once again, uh, welcome to this month's third Friday of the month radio show, Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows, they, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and uh, graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend dietary supplements, nutritional counselling uh, and an alternative approach to the management of various different conditions. Uh, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in either with questions related to or unrelated to tonight's topic of the metabolism of cancer. Uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete with us once more um, and this month's uh, topic is actually based on his newsletter. Um, the uh, newsletter he brought out uh, back in May um, the, it was another um, introduction has <laughs> to cancer metabolism but the, uh, if I remember rightly the uh, paranoia versus trustanoia uh, was a uh, interesting concept where most people uh, trust mainstream medicine to do them right. Uh, choose wisely uh, and, and find your information out from alternative sources. Uh, I think that alternative word is another very good starting point for tonight's show. Um, it is the drive that the uh, radio show is having uh, to basically keep running um, Free speech radio and independent radio stations are really not very common in America anymore. Um, radio shows are generally getting taken over, becoming more and more mainstream. Um, but obviously, free speech is still alive. And uh, again, that's our constitutional First Amendment right. So it's a very precious thing to have uh, free speech uh, aired on the, the airwaves, whether it's locally here or uh, brought across the nation uh, on the internet or other radio stations that would carry this show. Uh, it's a very precious uh, commodity. So you know that when free speech starts to become suppressed, you know the government are really not what you want in power. Uh, I would say no more about that, but the uh, Constitutional Amendment, First Amendment, is a very very strong and fundamental right uh, that we all have as American citizens to be able to freely choose what it is uh, rather than be told that this is what you're going to get. So uh, the Ask Your Herb Doctor show is uh, definitely one of those uh, radio programs that brings you an alternative uh, to the mainstream narrative, uh, what you're going to hear from the mainstream uh, science and doctors. And Dr. Raymond P., uh, fortunately, is a wealth of information, very alternative um, definitely outside the box thinking like so many of the great scientists that he quotes during his work from St. Georgie to Gilbert Ling to Mei Wan Ho and many, many others that we've mentioned over several years now, probably going on eight years that we've um, been delighted to have Dr. Pete uh, sharing his wisdom with us. And if you listen to commercial radio now and then, you know what media consolidation means. It's cookie cutter programming and 15 to 20 minutes of every hour. They're hounding you to buy stuff. Kmet is different, completely different. And you know why? Because it's independent, community-based, community radio, funded by the community, and our only responsibility is to you, the listener. So please support Kmet. Okay, uh, Dr. Pete, is Dr. Pete with us? Yes. 
Oh, hi, Dr. Pete. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I think what I wanted to do uh, was just basically uh, describe an outline um, of what has happened in science and uh, which has very much derailed uh, some very good research that was done that perhaps didn't go along with the um, corporate collective <laughs> collectivistic uh, uh, background controllers, if you like, from the Carnegie and Rockefeller Foundations. I know a couple of uh, months back um, we had the subject uh, and very much what was brought out was that the the institution has institutionalized medicine to the point where good science becomes largely ignored or demonized. I think that's very true to say, and it's not just uh, scare tactics, it's very much true, uh, that alternative medical doctors get hounded out of medicine. Uh, they have to leave the country, go abroad, where they can continue to practice, because in this country there is quite a, uh, a powerful suppression of alternative ideas. Um, so I think without me probably carrying on too much more, uh, I think just starting with um, Otto Warburg, um, if you would outline perhaps the uh, history of uh, oxidative metabolism, which uh, Frederick uh, William Koch, Frederick Koch, through Otto Warburg and Albert St. Georgie elucidated, and how that really should have been the direction that medicine if it really wanted to help people with cancer, should have gone in, but which, through various powerful lobbying groups and the estrogen industry, etc., have derailed it, and it's become very much a dogmatic, uh, destructive, um, sidle-type approach, uh, like bactericides or viricides. Uh, it's a kind of cancericidal approach to killing cancer cells with chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and all the other targeted uh, programs that basically destroy the organism rather than help it. So would you be able to give an outline of um, uh, metabolism as seen through the eyes of these great scientists who really were onto something? Um, yeah, starting in 1900, uh, the idea of electrons in molecules was uh, really just being explored uh, uh, it was about 1930, 35, uh, when mainstream chemists started accepting that there was such a thing as a free radical. But in 1900, Moses Gomberg at the University of Michigan had produced a stable free radical, uh, which uh, with uh, a free but uh, un fairly unreactive electron produced a deep purple color with a very uh, small amount of, of the molecule in solution. And uh, this started other chemists thinking about uh, what produces color in molecules. And over the next four or five years, uh, several chemists were uh, theorizing about uh, mobile electrons in uh, molecules like um, benzoquinone. Um, and these were really the, at the center of mainstream chemistry, but uh, even the average uh, university chemist uh, wasn't up to date uh, on uh, the theories of electrons. It was only in 1916 that Gilbert Lewis uh, uh, gave his theory of electron bonding 
and uh, then Niels Bohr, um, I think it was 1921, uh, described his uh, picture of how electrons orbit around molecules. And then uh, several years later, uh, Linus Pauling uh, uh, gave a, a more detailed description of uh, how electrons work in chemical bonds. So uh, the very best biochemists were uh, just getting started around 1935 thinking about electrons. Mm -hmm. And uh, biologists and uh, medical doctors uh, couldn't uh, imagine how electrons could have anything to do with uh, <laughs> the life process. Uh, so the, the process that uh, is involved in oxidation, it's the movement of electrons from a fuel such as sugar or fat to oxygen. And in the process, it's, uh, there's a lot of extractable energy in some form. And uh, when the, the uh, biologists finally uh, admitted that uh, electrons had to be explained somehow, they wanted to uh, compartmentalize uh, how the energy is, is uh, used in moving from uh, glucose or fat down to oxygen. And uh, so they uh, invented little machines that would uh, uh, take a, a sort of a quantum of, of energy out of that moving electron and uh, uh, attach it to various little machines, which they called pumps mm -hmm. or motors and so on, and, and explained uh, muscle contraction and secretion and all processes uh, in this uh, very primitive concept of biological energy, where the, the actual process is a, a flow, uh, a streaming process. Uh, there, there's no uh, standing still for the electron. It, it, the cell dies if it isn't uh, constantly moving uh, the electrons from fuel to, to oxygen. So this is a process that's going on every breath we take and every single cell in our body is moving these electrons from sugar or fat to oxygen. Um, uh, yeah, and when you uh, try to measure the uh, electrical energy of a cell, uh, you stick a needle in, for example, to measure the, the voltage, and uh, people have a, a sort of a standing uh, static picture of the cell uh, in which it's a membrane, and inside there are statistically uh, um, randomized uh, molecules carrying electrons, and so uh, they think of it as a, effectively a bag of electrons which they're measuring. Uh, what they're doing is disrupting this intricate constant flow from fuel uh, to to oxygen, and they're um, measuring uh, an injured cell every time they uh, try to stop it to fit their model uh, they're, they're destroying some cell process and uh, in uh, the 1940s uh, uh, St. Georgi published some of his work with uh, oxidative processes in muscle and how energy is used and uh, he was the one who discovered that ATP literally makes 
muscle contract. He, he extracted muscle and used various uh, simplified preparations to show that simply adding ATP made the muscle move. And he was thinking of something electronic going on related to oxidation and uh, uh, fuel use and so on. But he found that the contracted muscle in the presence of ATP uh, didn't break down the ATP molecule. That ATP causes muscle to contract without changing its bond structure. Well, this is very interesting, folks, when you, when you hear this. Uh, I don't want to interrupt you too much. So uh, muscle contraction can occur in the absence of the breakdown of ATP, which is not what I was taught when I was at school. Um, so anyway, yeah, most people that listen to, to what you've just said now might remember that the uh, classic description is ATP is reduced to uh, ADP and AMP, and that r- release of that phosphate group is what actually drives the muscle. But, Dr. P, you're saying that that is not the way it is. Um, uh, yeah, the, um, w- when I was in graduate school, the uh, muscle biologists uh, all over the world were saying that ATP has a high-energy bond of mm-hmm. 11 or 14 kilocalories per mole, and it's that energy that can be used to explain the little muscles, uh, motors in the muscles that uh, uh-huh. cause movement. Uh, without that high energy, it would be impossible to explain their motors. But meanwhile, uh, Gilbert Ling had, uh, I think he probably read St. Georgie too, and uh, was aware that ATP didn't have to uh, break down to release energy. He uh, pointed out that the energy of the whole molecule of ATP sticking to the the protein of the muscle has an energy of stickiness or absorption energy of 21 kilocalories per mole, uh, twice as much as the hypothetical bond energy. And that explains uh, why it makes the protein change without having to break down simply the relationship between the molecules shifts the whole structure yeah and and this is this is very much that kind of holistic alternative approach to science and to biology that enables these people that are doing this to see the whole thing is confluent and it's constant like you said electrons don't stop they're constantly moving they're, sh- they're constantly in Action and that is that is life right there when uh, molecules are being produced and cells are being signaled and communication is happening. It all involves energy, and I know you're a big advocate of uh, supporting thyroid function because that ultimately is a very big driver of metabolism, as is mitochondrial function and, and that, the energy of the cell. Yeah, and that all of this is ve- we're all very much energetic living beings. We're not static, and actually a lot of uh, what we'll perhaps. Get into later on here with uh, cancer metabolism being a very aberrant form of that kind of metabolism which is much more uh, destructive and um, very negative uh, is very much opposed to regular life which is productive and energetic and you know that high energy state is what actually keeps us alive and healthy and and allows our immune systems to get on top of spontaneous cancers because they know that they do arise all the time and it's only in those lowered energetic states where people can actually 
actually produce a cancer that starts to take them out, and it's all the negative uh, lactic, lactic acid production, etc., for from tumours uh, that contributes in the carbon monoxide. We'll get into that later on. But but we're not talking about, like, the high adrenaline, that type of energy. We're talking about energy from a cell functioning properly and having enough thyroid, which basically means the cell has enough oxygen. And it's a very calm state, but your cells have a lot of energy in that calm state. All right, you're listening to Aftercare with Dr. KB, KMUD Galville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show, callers are welcome to call in with questions either related to this month's uh, topic of the metabolism of cancer um, and a toll-free number if you live uh, outside the area. There's an 800 number, which is 800-KMUD-RAD. So that's 800-568-3723, or if you're in the area code, uh, the uh, numbers nine two three three nine one one. Actually, uh, I, um, Michael said that he didn't think the. the I I thought that the long well, if you've been calling the show from Missouri, call whatever number you've been using. But I was under the impression the eight hundred number didn't work out of California. But oh, I could okay. be totally wrong. I didn't know that. Thanks anyway, for me. I mean, <laughs> we're broke, and the eight hundred number isn't free. The eight hundred number costs us, so okay. you might as well have it on your phone bill anyway. All right, there you go. Okay, so, um, yeah, all right, somebody was going to come in at one point. Well, no, yeah. we're going to do that at 7.25. Oh, we're doing it at 7.25, okay. All right. So, Dr. P, um, getting back to this kind of energetic state of the cell, um, that's probably a good point at which you understand um, how cancer can arise, how it can be allowed to be outside the body's normal control, and how that energetic state, we won't call it energetic, perhaps we call it uh, excited depleted state uh, should best be understood as a uh, way to understand cancer? Uh, in the 1920s, at, at the time Weiberg uh, uh, was developing his idea of, of oxidation, uh, a, a man in England, uh, David Kylin, uh, was working on another side of, of oxidation uh, with the cytochromes, and he found that uh, when an insect flight muscle or a bird flight muscle, a very energetic muscle, when it was uh, contracting and highly stimulated, the pigment that he was studying disappeared, showing that there was uh, no oxygen present. Uh, The uh, extreme activity had consumed all of the oxygen momentarily uh, and shifted the cell and those pigments into a reduced state of excess electrons. Uh, And so this was, uh, St. Georgie and and Kylin were simultaneously working on the ideas that uh, uh, William Frederick Koch at the University of um, uh, Michigan had uh, developed independently, uh, that it's the flow of electrons through the system to oxygen, uh, which has to be continuous, and when something uh, overstimulates or irritates an area, the idea of irritation and or carcinogenic smoke and so on was already known, and, and the um, irritating effect of estrogen, for example, uh, was already known. Uh, so uh, uh, the, the idea of excitation exhausting the uh, tissue oxygen uh, was at the center of, of the idea of what cancer is. Uh, Varberg 
described uh, his thought at that time as uh, the cancer uh, has a defect in respiration which makes it lack the Pasteur effect, which was what Pasteur had seen in yeast, was that um, uh, oxygen normally causes the yeast to stop fermenting, right. to stop producing mm -hmm. lactic acid or ethanol in the case mm -hmm. of beer. Um, but St. George said uh, there's something wrong with the system that uh, prevents cancer from uh, even in the presence of oxygen, from being able to turn off that excitatory process that produces lactic acid. So uh, there's something keeping the cell in the excited state. And uh, that that's where uh, the details have been developed now uh, over the, the last 90 years since Barberg expressed that idea. Uh, what are the things that can turn off the excitation the ex excess of stimulation and let uh, the oxygen uh, which can be present let the oxygen do its work mm -hmm. um, to turn off the lactic acid production so it's a form of, um, of energy production the body has as like a backup mechanism when it when it's not using oxygen properly then it converts to using sugar sugar and it's inefficient and it's wasteful and it over excites the cell is that i'm just trying to understand this myself and also put yeah. it into some a little bit more understandable terms for our yeah, listeners when, when it's either deficient in oxygen or overstimulated uh, so that it used up all the oxygen because yeah. it was overstimulated yeah so it's the same thing as uh, suffocating or being overstimulated there's no oxygen to turn off the production of lactic acid and then the lactic acid itself is an irritant, a, a, a stimulant. It shifts the cell away from the use of oxygen towards the production of more lactic acid. So it's like a vicious um, cycle. Here, we're going yeah. to um, pause you for a moment here, Dr. Beat, while we have Jordan come in. And we're going to talk about what a wonderful radio station this is. It's an oasis of diversity, and it's an oasis amid the sameness of the commercial media landscapes. We provide essential nourishment for your mind and soul with our amazing variety of programs. Wow, what a show tonight. Very scientific. No one like Dr. Pete. No, no he, he really gives you, the, gives you the info, but some real science tonight. You really got to pay attention. Yep. But I just want to thank you guys for coming in and doing your show every month. I want to thank all the talk show hosts. And I want you, uh, dear listener, to thank the talk show hosts by calling in your support to 707-923-3911. We've got uh, some phone answers out there who would really like you to keep them busy. And I loved, uh, Andrew, your your uh, opening remarks about uh, the Bill of Rights, the mm -hmm. First Amendment, That's and right. how... If we don't use our rights, we we'll lose our it. rights. Absolutely, absolutely. The government need to hear that from us. Yeah, and and your your comment earlier out in the in the hall about uh, that's what it's all about. This is free speech radio. There's uh, 25 different viewpoints uh, right. at, from seven to eight during the course of the month, right. and uh, it's part of the our programming that includes you, and uh, we just really want you folks who listen, and we know talk show listeners 
are uh, pretty emph- emphatic listeners and pretty dedicated listeners. And w- I know there's people who listen from all across the country for this because they call in. Right, so, yeah, absolutely, from the East and, Coast through the Midwest. And, and if you don't call in even, that's okay. You can still donate. You can just call right. in at 923-707-923-3911 because this community radio station is not getting support from, you know, government. all, yeah, or mm-hmm. for when you buy products, right, some exactly. of your money is going anything, yeah. to, yeah, yep. and marketing budgets of major multinationals do not support Kmart, so, right. so it's any, up to you. Any, any amount, gratefully appreciated, just write out check, money order, uh, whatever you have, send it to KMUD here in Garberville. Yeah, it's Box 135 in Box Redway. Box 135, Redway, California. And don't forget if California, 95560. If you're listening online, org, there is a way to donate right there uh, while you're listening. Press the red button. A sustaining membership of $120 a year will uh, th- can be taken out $10 a month very painlessly. And uh, it's a great a great way to support the MUD. It's a great, free... a great way to support your First Amendment, too. Yeah, well, because the free speech you're hearing today was paid for by people who donated during our last pledge drive. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to get back, let you guys get back to Dr. Pete, and uh, thanks for the show. Thank you, George. You're welcome. Yeah, well, we appreciate KMUD for allowing the show uh, Ask Your Abe Doctor to even uh, happen. I think it was probably 12 years ago now. I know time flies so quickly, but I think it was 2004. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was 2004 we did the first show. Uh, here we are, 2016. Uh, anyway, Dr. Pete, um, you're there, right? So you were telling us about lactic acid and how it um, feeds cancer cells and because of the lack of oxygen? Uh, yeah, anything that causes a lack of oxygen or excessive irritation and, and stimulating to the point of fatigue uh, will produce an excess of lactic acid. But Just then, like when you run too long and you get stitches in your side? Um, yeah, and, and lactic acid... Uh, uh, produces an imbalance in the electrons it uh, it, it uh, takes up some electrons to be formed but in the process that increases the uh, alkalinity inside the cell and uh, uh, in several ways creates a vicious circle of uh, uh, more electrons actually than it can take up and one way that the uh, cancer cell tries to return to normal is to use some of those excess electrons that can't be consumed by converting pyruvic acid to uh, lactic acid is to use them in synthesizing fat. So interestingly, uh, the cancer cell turns on the enzymes that synthesize fat as a way to drain away more electrons. And then as oxygen becomes available, the respiratory process will burn fat and so the cancer cell is eating all the sugar it can get and tearing down the tissue of the body uh, to use amino acids uh, in, in place of glucose when that's deficient and converting uh, the uh, energy from glycolysis either uh, amino acids or glucose converting that to fat and then oxidizing the fat with whatever oxygen it has. And oxidizing fat is uh, less efficient in terms of oxygen use, so it it adds to the problem of oxygen deficiency. Is this where the myth comes in, where you hear a lot of people say, oh, sugar feeds cancer? Uh, 
Well, yeah, actually, uh, cancer uh, sugar, sugar. sugar deprivation turns on the Warburg effect, turns on the stress reaction. And, and makes the lactic acid and makes the cancer cells. Yeah. So and, it's actually the opposite, shifts, folks. Uh, if, if you go into the ketosis, the stress metabolism that turns on this partial oxidation of fatty acids produces uh, what they call the ketone bodies, but uh, one of the ketone bodies is not a ketone, and it's the uh, the reduced state of, of this uh, pairing of uh, acetoacetate and uh, beta-ketobutyrate, beta uh, which is not a ketone. Uh, this is shifted so that it increases reductive imbalance. So it's almost as bad as lactate. Uh, so it's the stress that is uh, uh, creating this cycle of, of excess electron imbalance. And then that, in turn, activates things that can amplify, depending on the total situation, can amplify the stress reaction and the uh, uh, reductive excess of electrons. Uh, so that, for example, the formation of prostaglandins is turned on when there's a, a, a shift towards too many electrons, uh, uh, an imbalance in the direction of, of NADH rather than NAD, or of uh, too much uh, reduced uh, sulfhydryl. Uh, people are, are uh, talking, actually, they're giving glutathione supplements to increase the electron abundance in the tissue where the cancer cell already has an excess of electrons. It's a powerful antioxidant system that keeps the cancer cell alive but in this defective state. And the same process that turns on prostaglandins, which uh, create all kinds of inflammation and uh, uh, tendency to uh, uh, reproduce themselves without uh, differentiating. It also turns on aromatase, hmm. which mm -hmm. makes uh, estrogen, which uh, activates more of the uh, tendency to produce uh, excess electrons. Um, I picked up on what you said about five minutes ago, and I jotted a note down here just uh, so I could uh, ask you this, and this is definitely not scripted. <clears throat> but um, you mentioned the um, inability to relax, uh, the over-excitation or the excitotoxic uh, effect of various uh, mediators that promote uh, cancer and how the cancer itself is in a very excited state. And this constant excitation... That, and that oxygen, the presence of oxygen calms that excitation down. How, do, and this is the, this is the part that's unscripted. I wanted to ask you to understand this myself because I know, um, you're an advocate of CO2 and increasing your CO2, um, as a definite health benefit. And I know we've talked about oxygen being a poison essentially, and I think that's not a, uh, a poor, not, not a bad word for it. Um, but so how, how is oxygen in this way being, um, a help as opposed to our general understanding of oxygen being a fairly toxic gas? Uh, the CO2 does uh, at least three central things related to the cancer. One, it's acting 
like um, a, a calming agent, uh, the way ATP does to relax uh, muscles that, that aren't stimulated, holding them in a state of readiness to contract. And uh, the, the CO2 is uh, an analog of these pigment molecules that uh, huh. Koch and uh, Moses Gomberg were visualizing. So you said CO2 has a structural similarity, because we haven't even talked about the anthocyanins and the flavonoids yet, but is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, it, it's an acid, a Lewis acid, mm -hmm. which doesn't involve any protons, but the uh, double-bonded oxygens on the carbon are yeah. the essential feature of, of the uh, free radical oxidative catalysts that uh, Koch was talking about and that St. George worked with for about 40 or 50 years. Uh, and the, um, this acidic effect uh, modifies the proteins so that they are stabilized, calmed down, uh, kept quiet so mm. that they uh, aren't forced to uh, shift over to the lactic acid metabolism. And the CO2 also can fill in and correct uh, what's missing in the Krebs cycle or the tricarboxylic acid cycle. Uh, it's uh, uh, replenishing uh, the catalytic effect of the fuel that keeps the oxygen process going. And uh, then it, uh, CO2 also uh, directly intervenes in uh, the uh, inhibition of lactic acid production. And uh, so, uh, just by increasing the CO2, breathing in a bag, for example, for a, a minute or so at a time, several times a day, will uh, lower your serum lactic acid. And it's only in the last two or three years that uh, several people are recognizing that you can diagnose uh, cancer uh, just by an increased chronic uh, lactic acid mm. excess in the blood. And... Uh, since it's one of the factors that keeps the process going, anything you can do that will uh, shift towards oxidative metabolism and, and lower your production of lactic acid is helpful. That's why you recommend for people who um, have cancer that they go to high elevation so that they can increase the amount of CO2 in their bloodstream. Uh, yeah, there were studies in Russia uh, in the 1960s in which they uh, gave carcinogens uh, to rats, and uh, then they treated some with uh, chemotherapy and uh, took them uh, to, I think it was 17,000 feet altitude, and uh, the uh, ones at high altitude recovered uh, at a very high rate uh, with or without the uh, chemotherapy. Uh, the chemotherapy uh, cured a few of them at, at uh, normal altitude, but cured most of them at the high altitude. And about a hundred years ago, the insurance company uh, industry was already uh, aware that the cancer mortality was about 10% lower in cities at, at high altitudes. Uh, so it, it was... Uh, well recognized. Well recognized, because if anyone doesn't want to lose money, it's the insurance company. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Well, uh, thanks so much for explaining that. Let me just uh, remind people again, it's a live show and callers are welcome to call in. I I know Dr. Pete enjoys uh, answering questions. Uh, The more outside the box, the better for him. I mean, I really appreciate your explanation of uh, the CO2 effects and those three different mechanisms. And I know, I promise you now, folks, that nothing was scripted here. That was just straight off the cuff. So really appreciate your input, Dr. Pete. Um, A number if you live in the area. 923-3911 outside the area uh, 800 number 800-KMUD-RAD if those people listening on the internet I know that you can always communicate with KMUD via the internet as well Um, so Dr P um, just talking about those um, energetic effects and I wanted to ask you about the pigments and uh, we've already covered uh, some of those you mentioned a, a purple a deep purple pigment that Moses Gomberg first uh, discovered or it got him thinking about um, the uh, energetic state of pigments and how uh, I want to bring into this question the topic of um, flavonoids and in herbs and in herbal medicine I know that things like bilberry very antioxidant um there's blackberries uh, the dark berry pigments and we'll get into a couple of other specific herbs like uh, powder arco uh, and the anthraquinone um, molecule in things like cascara and uh, chinese rhubarb and a few other um, plants that contain anthraquinones and how they how they have and I, I was only reading this afternoon on pubmed some articles based on um those anthraquinones being uh, proven to be anti-cancer or having an anti-cancer effect so uh, how do you understand because it's one one thing for me just to quote PubMed articles and understand in my own limited way from my own limited education background of how um, pigments work and in terms of uh, how science as I've been taught understands it but how do you think um, you see those pigments affecting that electronic change um, there have been several lines of uh, research on emodin, which is the pigment mm-hmm. in aloe and, right. and cascara and Chinese rhubarb. And uh, it has uh, a tremendous unexpected range of functions, uh, including a somewhat sedative or quieting effect, definitely not a stimulant, but activating oxidative metabolism in cells, and having a bacteria-suppressing effect uh, and uh, uh, reducing inflammation. These are all uh, properties that uh, W.F. Koch uh, saw in the, uh, the, the simple quinone type of uh, uh, cat- oxidative catalyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, um, when Koch went to Brazil, uh, he began studying Lapacho. He was probably the one that made it famous, uh, which is uh, a similar structure, uh, a, a multiple ring uh, structure that has a deep color. Uh, what these are doing is uh, the same as carbon dioxide. They're uh, modifying, sort of tuning up the electrical system of, of, of proteins in cells. And that's the basic idea that I, I think uh, has been a, a common theme from Varberg through St. Georgie, uh, is that uh, it, it's pointless to try to kill the cancer mm-hmm. as if it was a, a parasite uh, that could simply be removed. 
uh, because uh, it turns out that uh, when cells are uh, normally uh, being uh, fatigued and and replaced, uh, the dying cell uh, stimulates the growth of stem cells to replace the tissue. And uh, that's a process that happens in cancer. Uh, The natural uh, cancer cell is uh, very uh, weak and effective, so it it doesn't have a long lifespan. But every time it dies, it stimulates the replacement of a similar defective cell. And uh, no matter how you kill uh, the cancer cell, that area is injured and is uh, tending to be replaced. Uh, The the injury caused by killing it uh, stimulates faster replacement in in most situations uh, than just leaving it alone. And uh, the alternative idea is to tune up both the the tumor metabolism as far as possible and and the uh, metabolism of the surrounding organism. Let me let me pause you there a moment, Dr. Pete. I think we've got one or two callers on the line, so let's start taking this first caller. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? Hi, I'm calling from San Jose. San Jose, uh, hi, what's your question? Uh, my question is about uh, the altitude that Dr. Pete mentioned. Um, is there any other factor like the weather... Uh, or something that influences it in addition to altitude? For example, uh, let's say Denver versus Albuquerque, they have different weathers, but you know, fairly similar altitude. Will both be beneficial, or is there something else also to look at? Dr. P. Was what beneficial? Um, the altitude. So he was saying, was, it, was there any, any other mileage in external factors like weather uh, over the actual altitude that has a beneficial effect? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, excess humidity is harmful because our osmotic balance is part of the process of tuning up. Uh, there's an interaction between oxidation reduction and uh, pH and osmolarity, and, and all of the regulatory processes interact. And uh, if you have very high humidity, it's... Uh, a slight stress to the system uh, so middle range humidity is good and uh, as much uh, uh, daylight as possible uh, 15 hours of daylight seems to be uh, optimal for uh, recovery from cancer so would being you... in the andes would be a good idea <laughs> not humid closer to the equator and high elevation. So, so my question to you, Dr. Pete, then perhaps about humidity is somewhere like Hawaii not a good idea? I mean, I know it's a sea level for a start, but maybe... Um, is a volcano it, in Hawaii would be right. good. There you go, the top, Mon- of, top, the top of Mauna Kea. <laughs> All right, so humidity, you said, is a negative effect, uh, has a negative effect, but uh, outside that and daylight, the, um, the similar altitude will produce a similar benefit. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Okay, so um, I think we have another caller on the air. Hi, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from, and what's your question? Oh, um, this is Jordan. I'm from Redway, and um, I wanted to ask Dr. Pete a two-part question. Uh, Dr. Pete, earlier you said that when cancer cells go from they eat, they sur- survive on glucose, and then they, when they've uh, used all the glucose, they go on to amino acids. 
I was wondering, uh, are those the foods of choice for the cancer cells, or is it because they're so acidic, or is it because they're readily available? And then the second part of the question is, I've heard you say before that amino acids create a medium in the body that uh, allows cancer to grow, and it's confused me because the amino acids are essential. Um, so I just would like a little explanation on that. Uh, it depends on what kind of amino acids. Uh, the uh, cysteine, tryptophan, and methionine are the ones that most easily promote uh, cancer growth and development. But uh, glutamine and uh, uh, several of the uh, easily uh, metabolized uh, uh, amino acids are the ones that uh, fuel the production of, of lactate even when uh, glucose is uh, uh, not available or is, is uh, currently being depleted. So uh, the stress that lactic acid reinforces uh, turns on cortisol production and other stress signals that uh, break down, shift the balance away from protein synthesis to protein uh, breakdown, uh, providing amino acids. Uh, also, uh, fatty acids c come into the bloodstream under the same stress conditions. And uh, if those are uh, polyunsaturated, uh, that adds to the prostaglandin inflammation promotion. And uh, the stress hormones, cortisol, and the prostaglandins uh, uh, accelerate uh, both the inflammation and the conversion of the tissues to food. Um, uh, there have been uh, several types of experiments in which uh, cancer growth can be slowed down by uh, giving intravenous glucose. Uh, the, the Russian researcher uh, who was, uh, he began uh, working on the uh, Pasteur effect uh, probably was aware of St. George's thinking in the 1940s. Uh, some of his research involved giving uh, good doses of glucose, either uh, intravenously or orally. And uh, with the use of intravenous uh, glucose and uh, uh, higher provision of, of oxygen, uh, the uh, Ehrlich ascites carcinoma, uh, he found, could be reverted to normal metabolism. Uh, the, the classical example of a, of a cell that is in the uh, Warburg effect of making too much lactic acid, giving it as much sugar and oxygen as possible, uh, caused it to revert to normal metabolism. Wow. Well, thank you, Doctor. That's that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for that. And thank, call. Uh, yeah, thank all the doctors. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I think we have another caller on the air. So let's take this next caller. Actually, they just disappeared. Ooh, okay. uh, so hopefully they will call back in a second. Okay. Callers, the number here, back. if you live in the area, is nine two three three nine one one, or if you're outside the area, it's an eight hundred number one eight hundred KMUD RAD. So, Doctor Pete, we've talked about carbon dioxide high elevation being a quite an anti-cancer therapy. And we've also talked about some antioxidants from, like, cherries and blueberries, bilberries, and uh, the powdarco cascara. 
what are some other things that you would say are pretty anti-cancer and help with this respiratory um, If you think of the, the process of stress between too much excitation and not enough energy, uh, and just look at things that are known to reduce uh, excitation, uh, anesthetics, uh, some of the common anesthetics uh, will turn off the excitation enough to slow down a cancer growth. Have they uh, done like injections of lidocaine or? Uh, yeah, lidocaine uh, has been uh, proven effective against several different uh, cancers, uh, leukemia and several solid tumors, uh, I think liver, pancreas and breast, uh, and prostate. Uh, can I, hold, can I hold you there? We do have another caller. Who, I think maybe that caller's called back. So let's take this. Oh, the lights were flashing. You're telling me there's no caller. No, it's a new caller. Oh, okay, it's a new caller. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay, caller, you're on the air. Uh, what's your question? Where are you from? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Hi, yeah. Um, now, do you advocate, let's say you have a lump that's just contained. It hasn't metastasized. Let's say it's a lump in your breast or somewhere else. Can, um, that it's easily gotten to, would you advocate surgically removing that lump so that it won't continue to be a time bomb and keep growing? Dr. P, I can't imagine you would, but Dr. P? <laughs> um, <laughs> if it, it depends on whole context. Uh, I've had uh, lumps or things that doctors advised me to have biopsied, and uh, I just... Uh, uh, changed what I was doing and, and the problem went away but if you uh, aren't uh, aware of anything that you can change uh, and if it, uh, for example if it's hard and uh, stuck to surrounding tissues so that it seems definitely uh, to be cancerous then probably a lumpectomy is, is okay if you uh, Make sure that the uh, that you're taking precautions against uh, activating a cancer by the surgery itself. Um, which um, well, what what would you what kind of precautions can you take? Uh, for example, uh, surgery is done uh, when a woman is in the uh, low progesterone part of the month before ovulation. Right. Uh, that is much several times Worse. more likely to uh, metastasize than in the presence of high progesterone. And uh, I, I think the, uh, all of the things that are known to uh, reduce excitation, reduce lactic acid production, uh, and uh, uh, increase uh, oxidative metabolism, I, I think if, if all of those are done, then a lumpectomy uh, is uh, relatively safe. Okay, we do have another caller, so let's keep moving here and get this next caller in. I give them a chance to uh, ask their question. Call away from? Hi, I'm in Albion, California. Um, I, my question is around thyroid. It seems that it needs to be at optimal function. I recently went through about five years of really hard stress. Um, I'm having fatigue. I have my thyroid levels drawn, um, which uh, what they draw is TSH and free T4 which come back normal but on the low end and I'm wondering if there's another test I could ask for because I know um, if I increase a, a thyroid medication dose it will change my life but I'm wondering if we're looking at the right uh, labs. 
Okay, and there is one more caller after this, Dr. Pete, so... I'm going to hang up, thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was going to say, um, ma'am, if you take your temperatures and pulses at specific times of the day and specific reference to eating, that's a much more accurate gauge for yourself to, to assess your thyroid function. And if you contact us, we can um, send you a form for free. So a form that you can fill out your temperatures and your pulses at different times of day. Let me just... Let me actually, and Dr. Pete, do you want to mention something? Yeah. Go ahead, we've uh, only got five minutes. <laughs> yeah, the, the T3 is the essential active thyroid hormone, and uh, under stress, T4 is converted to reverse T3, which interferes, so you can't at all interpret uh, thyroid function with just T4 and TSH. And even T3 by itself, you have to consider how much stress is uh, uh, causing it to be converted to the inactive and blocking form. Uh, and so you want a good ratio of active T3 to reverse T3. And if you measure your cortisol, uh, you can uh, see uh, usually uh, what, what is causing it to be inactive. Uh, sugar, uh, glucose is needed to convert T4 to the active T3 form and to hold down the cortisol, which would inactivate the T3, convert T4 to reverse T3. So uh, sugar is protective. Uh, keeping, uh, avoiding uh, hypoxic conditions or inflammation that uh, wastes oxygen locally. Uh, any area that's deficient in oxygen or has an excess of lactic acid can locally destroy active T3. I think I have to hold you there, Dr. Pete. Uh, I don't want to be rude, but we've got a couple of minutes just to close out some information here before we uh, before we sign off at 8 o'clock. So thank you so much for your time. And is there any one last thing you want to say, Dr. Pete? Nope. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Dr. Pete. And okay. I want to make sure I announce before we um, wrap up here that the Broadway Cinema is showing Vaxxed, or we're trying to get it to show Vaxxed. Um, there's two showings that are potentially possible if people go online. And to what's Vaxxed about? <clears throat> va well, I'm going to tell you that in a minute. Oh, well, actually, I should <laughs> I'm trying to hurry up here. So Vaxxed is um, about a story of vaccination in families. There's a Facebook uh, page. And vaccine damage. Yes, definitely. Very much supporting and that positive correlation between vaccines and damage. And uh, it's from uh, cover-up to catastrophe. It's an investigation into how the CDC has covered up some information. There's a whistleblower. It's um, supposed to be a very interesting film. I'm hoping to see it when it comes to Broadway Cinema in Eureka, if it does. And you can visit the Facebook page. It's called v Bring Vax to Humboldt. And you can go on to Gather, um, which is G-A-T-H-R dot U-S forward slash screening forward slash 16238. Uh, probably easier just to go to the Facebook page, and then you can get information from there. So okay. the two showings are August 10th at 7 p.m. and August 15th at 7 p.m. Try to sign up for the August 10th first so that we can actually get the film here. Otherwise, August 15th will be the second showing. Thank you for all the callers that called in. We did have some more that we couldn't get on, and thanks so much for being there. Um, I just want to let you know that next month we won't be doing the show, but we'll be back again in September. Uh, and it's my intention to carry this topic on through to next September because we 
actually hardly had any chance to ask questions that I wanted to uh, get Dr. Pete to answer. So thank you so much, Dr. Pete, for joining uh, on the show. Uh, until the third Friday of September, my name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray, and we can be reached on one 926 4372. That's one 888 WBM Herb. Good night. Good night.